Are you buying Buckfast again, Mary? <laughs> oh God, no! I've had Buckfast once in my life, and it, it's disgusting. I like it. For a few times, yeah. No. That was just day. <laughs> <laughs> Your idea is incredible. I can't argue with that. We pay for everything. So this country belongs to us. It's just business. Hunting human beings for sport. They're not human beings. <laughs> good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Movie Scramble podcast. I am obviously saying good evening, but you could be watching this, listening to this, sorry, in the morning, the afternoon, nighttime, whenever you want. But for us, it's evening, so I'm being polite to the people that are live. I'm your host, Thomas. I'm joined by John and Mary. Mary, how are you doing? Are you still locked in that loft? I, I definitely am. I think depression has, has kicked in. And even the arrival of Baby Yoda in my life is, is not easing the, the work-from-home pain at the moment. I will be absolutely delighted when Big Bojo finally announces we can all set foot over our front doors again. You can leave the house if you want. You just... I just feel guilty about it though. I feel like if you go out, people are like, what are you doing? And I just, I live in a small enough village and we're new here. I don't want to get a reputation, you know. Yeah, no anymore than you already have anyway. (laughs) John, how are you doing? I can go out of the house and my reputation is intact, I'd like to say. (laughs) (laughs) You're about saying tattles there. No, no, that's just my social life at the moment. That's an unfortunate part of all this. You can't actually go anywhere and do anything. But... We persevere, don't we? We survive, which brings us to the topic of our podcast for tonight. And survival. We are going to review another Blumhouse film, because that's all we seem to do these days, is (laughs) talk about Blumhouse productions. But we are talking about the most controversial film of last year. And it wasn't even released until this year. We're talking about Craig Zobel's The Hunt. I don't want to say too much about the film because the trailer, it's not that it's misleading, but the general premise here is that a group of wealthy, upper-class people are hunting poorer people for, apparently, sport, for fun. That's all I really want to say in terms of the plot because that's really the, the basis of it. And as it unravels, you find out who these wealthy people are, who the the lesser members of society are, why they're being hunted, the motives, and it was not what I expected. I was surprised. I can see why the film's caused controversy. I am, however, surprised that the controversy it has created. Does that make sense? I think the controversy of it last year, we had Donald Trump thinking it was very this and very that. Now people think it's very much the other side. It seems to be a film that's pissed off both the left and the right due to its themes. To me... I think the fact that it has pissed you off, that's the point of it. It's not that it offend for the sake of offending, but if it does piss you off, then I think you're part of the problem. Have I read too much into this film? <laughs> and it screams, or what's your thoughts? It's just that you're so woke, Thomas, that's what it is. I'm definitely broke. 
<laughs> I mean, I can understand why there was like some controversy around it because ultimately it's humans hunting other humans for sport um, there was a serial killer that did that at one point um, he released his victims into the woods and sort of told them to run and he would chase after them his name escapes me at this moment in time but actually in terms of what kind of unfolds on screen I've seen much more in terms of you know violence and torture and uh, controversy but Having said that, I did obviously really enjoy it, and you guys know that because I was messaging you for like the first twenty minutes, just saying like, "What the fuck? What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I did really enjoy it. I actually liked Craig Sobel's a uh, previous film from I think it's like two thousand thirteen called Compliance, which again, it's a kind of sort of nasty kind of provocative piece of cinema that will kind of sort of sit under your skin. Um. I enjoyed this and I thought there was kind of elements of sort of dark humour in it as well but I, I must admit I don't really get the controversy because I think it was a film that was definitely made sort of tongue kind of firmly in cheek so I'm I'm not kind of too sure why it caused such an outrage. I think the themes were put out there to annoy people to begin with even before the film came out and it did have that effect. There was a lot of tweeting about it, a lot of people getting very angry about it and it was a very deliberate act on the part of the filmmakers. Now, the film was obviously put back because there was a couple of high-profile shootings just when it was supposed to come out, and they didn't want the film to be associated with those in any way. But it didn't actually have anything to do with us. There wasn't anything like that in terms of the uh, the plot or the themes of the film, but it was felt best to put it back. And by doing so, what they have done is they've kind of taken the heat off it and allowing people to actually go and see it. The rich versus the poor thing is probably the overriding theme of the film. There has been talk of uh, very political elements of it, but what I found with those was it was quite muddied. There wasn't really a red versus blue sort of theme to it in the way that was initially described, because the antagonists within the film, the actual hunters were described in some terms as liberal elites, but when you actually see some of them, they're very, very far from it. They're quite conservative in their their outlook and the way that they actually handle themselves. So you could actually say they were more sort of red than blue or whatever. You know, there's it's, it's very mixed up, and I think it's done initially to shock and just to get you into the film. And from there, just so you can actually enjoy the film on its it's terms that it's actually setting out as it goes along. It's quite clever. Yeah, I thought it was very clever and it seemed to piss off Donald Trump when I mean, the films managed to annoy the president of the United States before it's even been released. That's a great marketing campaign in itself. And yes. then when the film does come out, it's, at times it takes a swipe at cancel culture and social justice warriors and takes a piss at that element of online politics, so to speak, and I can see, that seems to rub people off the wrong way as well because they don't like being the focus of scorn. People from a certain political persuasion went into the film thinking this is going to be anti-Trump, pro-liberal, blah, 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 and it wasn't. And as you say, John, it was neither red nor blue. It was very much, well, just taking pot shots at everyone here because mm-hmm. this is wrong and this is also wrong. It's- yeah, nobody emerges from this unscathed and the sort of the feeling that I got from the group of hunters was almost like the uh, John Doll character in Rope. They just thought they were entitled 
to kill because they thought that their lives were were worth more or they were more intelligent or you know they had contributed more but that wasn't aligned to any sort of particular uh, particular political persuasion it was just a sort of arrogance we could talk about the themes in this film and the kind of political aspect of it and that's what's going to cause the biggest issue in terms of the actual plot and you mentioned made about how the idea of humans hunting humans might cause a controversy it's not a novel idea in a film. When this film came out, my first instance was, well, we've seen this before. Uh, the, the script itself is loosely based on The Most Dangerous Game, a novel from, I think it was the 1930s, that has like rich, big game hunter hunting people for sport because he's basically hunted everybody. They say The Most Dangerous Game is man. You get films like The Running Man that have a similar idea, it says it's a game show, which, when you think about it on paper, is a lot more of a controversial idea. The premise of this movie in itself shouldn't have been an issue, but as you say, John, it came out at a time there was another shoot in America, and people that seemed to think the politics of the movie was going to look bad in them attacked it for that reason. And now after the kind of controversy has been and gone and this has settled and the films came out, most people are like, well, the film's not that really that bad to begin with. And now they're using that as a stick to beat it with because they don't like the politics in it. And the film is very political, very, as you say, very tongue-in-cheek. It's not preachy. Yeah, like, I think a lot of the sort of, like, there's a kind of scene where the hunters are having a, a woke conversation or they sort of try and use kind of human stooges to prompt the hunted to say things that they believe will fit a certain political agenda. But to me, that was all, it was so very set up and so very staged and it was very tongue-in-cheek that... To me, the kind of politics of the film, it, it almost like it's not that they didn't come into it because obviously there's a kind of clear divide there. But to me, it was more of a sort of maybe a class divide. And I hate saying that because it makes me feel a bit icky. But it was definitely more about, you know, kind of wealthy or rich people and, you know, poorer people with less opportunities It kind of split into two camps. It, it, to me, it, the politics were so blurred. Um, and when they did sort of attempt to make political statements, they were kind of darkly humorous, so you didn't maybe take it as seriously as other uh, plot points in the film. And that's the thing, I thought the film was, was very, it was laugh out loud funny at mm-hmm. times, and although it was very violent, it was a comic book style violence. It was a, a movie that reveled in its absurdity. It wasn't, the violence in it was, to, was, was intended to be entertaining. It was supposed to be over the top. Absolutely, yes. Right from the the very start, there's uh, an opening scene where there's a scene of violence and without obviously going into any detail because you really should watch it, it is quite comic in the way that it unfolds and the way that it actually ends as well. It works very well and it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the film. That's what you're kind of expecting. You're not expecting anything to be uh, horrible and graphic without that sort of dark humour attached to it. And it makes a real difference when you're watching something of there's sort of darkness in a film like that, then you're needing that wee sort of counterbalance of humour. Otherwise, you're basically just watching this horrible, almost like a snuff film or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Not that I have any experience of watching that, I am say, obviously. <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer. Yeah, or day, making them. day nine of self-isolation, John. <laughs> John makes a snuff film. <laughs> no, I was going to, just going to say, make a snuff film. I was going to say, he's exhausted his DVD collection. This time he started. <laughs> uh, but I mean, that's the thing. The idea, the idea is say, you know, like, 
violence in the films entertaining may not even be a very social conscious thing to see these days, but nobody had the same issue when it was John Wick or Fast and the Furious. Yeah, or even Deadpool or something like that, because it's that kind of... Okay, it's not as overt and comic book as that, but it is that kind of... Not making fun of the violence, but it's, it's, it's used for a specific effect, and sometimes that effect is humour. It's not supposed to be real life. It's not depicted as real life. And the violence in this is very on-screen cinema violence. It's very fantastical. It's not supposed to be when something gets shot that it looks real. There is some quite, I wouldn't say horrible moments in the films, but some very kind of darkly violent moments. But it's also a punchline. Yeah. And that's what the film kind of works, is no matter how dark it gets, there'll be a joke to accompany it. It's not a film to sit and take seriously. But and I guess that's time. why I didn't get the controversy, because I think I was maybe expecting something that was really grim and quite graphic. So I think, having watched it, I was like, well, I find that really entertaining. And then I was like, oh, God, is that the wrong response to have to that? Am I supposed to be really appalled by it? Because there was just so much built up. But as I say, I've seen, like, what if you watch, like, you know, Irreversible or something like that, that has a much more sort of lasting impact on you than, than The Hunt. I kind of thought it was, like fun in parts god i'm a terrible person <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that and you see you could watch john wick as i mentioned and say well i enjoyed john wick you enjoy mm-hmm. john wick not for easy stellar acting or the the storyline you watch it because he kills people like at an alarming rate yeah you're and there for the body count absolutely. that's why it's that's why unfortunately that does pass for entertainment and it is fun john wick films are fun fast and furious films are fun the Matrix is fun. It's just how it is. There's a, a market for these kind of films, and I think with um, The Hunt, it holds a mirror up to audiences, and it basically says, do you recognise yourself in this movie? And I think if people say, yeah, and they're also offended, that's, that's, that's the issue. But if you don't recognise yourself in it, you probably won't get offended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get yeah, there's that. A few filmmakers that have done that before. If you look at the likes of uh, Michael Haneke with Funny Games, well, Funny it's Games, exactly is the, the yeah, idea. that's what came to mind actually when when I thought of this, and I thought that's I would say that's more dark than. Mm-hmm. than... Oh yes, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Funny Games is I haven't seen the remake. I've only seen the original, and it does have that darkly comic humour to it at times, but that's a harrowing watch. That's very hard to win. But this did remind me a little bit when you mentioned the kind of class warfare aspect, Mary, it was uh, The Purge. Oh, yeah. yeah. By the same production company, interestingly enough. I think it was the, the fourth one, uh, the first Purge movie. Sorry, uh, the yes. first Purge, it was called. And the, the poster was a red cap that mm-hmm. said, Make America a, Purge Again. A MAGA hat. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, that's brilliant. At the same time, this movie does have a lot of kind of political aspect to it. When I say politics, I don't just mean uh, White House politics or the American Constitution, the government. It's that online culture that attacks. It attacks cancel culture. It takes it to the next next level where they want to cancel people in real life by killing them. (laughs) (laughs) And it is funny. It is funny because it's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be stupid, but it's also supposed to. I, I got from the film. It's supposed to show you how stupid these themes are at times. Yeah, like you saw, like the tweets and stuff that they were, you know, so appalled at, and they were, you know, kind of, they weren't 
all particularly vitriolic, but they were reactionary. And, you know, that that's what people do now. Like now, you know, 50 years ago or whatever, you would have, you know, vented to your, your neighbour or to a, a colleague or something. Now people just go online and, you know, I, I think the president's shit or I think he's great or whatever. And that's what people do. That's how they let off steam. And it obviously results in sort of conflicting opinions and arguments online but this sort of took it to the next level and it's like no you're not just putting that opinion out there because you've had a bad day like everyone can see it and now we're taking offense to it so I did quite like that sort of uh, angle to it that you know what most people forget is that everything they put on social media is of course very very public. Yeah the whole story itself evolves because of social media there's stuff that happens at the beginning there's a text conversation which then leads to certain things happening and then there's a social media backlash about that so therefore that really sort of sets the whole story up so and it kind of mirrors what's actually going on in real life apart from obviously the the killing yeah <laughs> but we don't we don't know it could be happening i find the fact that it's plausible <laughs> yeah <laughs> i find the kind of the, the tone of not as much a tone of film but the the spirit of the film is, is reflected in real life in a sense, but just turned up to 11. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I liked the the fact that he used a couple of wee sort of triggers as well. In the initial text conversation that I mentioned earlier, they used the word deplorables. Yes. Which yeah. was used by uh, Hillary Clinton during the 2016 election campaign she referred to Trump and his supporters as deplorables so that's a sort of a trigger word there to try and set the tone if you like or maybe even just for misdirection it sets it up in such a way that you're thinking right oh this is certain type of people which it is not again and the 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 lead of the hunters is called Athena and Athena was the goddess of wisdom and also uh, she was the the goddess of warfare as well. So there's that kind of juxtaposition between being wise and being a warrior as well, which I, I thought was quite nice. And it's very subtly done. It's not uh, right in your face. No, definitely. Uh, Athena played by Hilary Swank, who is so good in this. Mm-hmm. It just looks like she's having so much fun, uh, hamming up. And... The the whole cast to it be fair, and I thought uh, Betty Gilpin was was excellent she's as a lead. Excellent, she is. You she's know, really good. She just kind of like uh, embodied this badass, shoot first, take no ask no questions type uh, action hero, and she just was so stern the whole way that in a movie as balls to the wall mental as this was, she seems like the anchor. That yeah. She just seemed fed up all the time. She just didn't want to be doing any of it. But when it came down <laughs> to it, she just got on with it. Yeah, it was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to do this again. I have yeah. to escape through it again. Yes. But yeah, she was, she was absolutely brilliant. And I'm not really familiar with her as an actress. Um, but I know she's been in Glow and certainly has got really good reviews um, for that. But I thought she was you know, really, really good. I thought it got slightly kind of, not ridiculous towards the last like 15, 20 minutes, but it, it kind of lost a wee bit of its appeal for me then, but even then she was still really, really engaging throughout it all. I don't think the lockdown is going to hamper it in any way. Obviously, it was only out for a week before cinemas across the US and basically everywhere else started to close. So it didn't take that much money in its opening week. I think it was something like $5.3 million. But having said that, that's half of its uh, budget and publicity right there. So... They 
put it out onto video on demand almost right away. And I think it's going to do very well. It's going to be a lot of people seeing it. And on an interesting side note, um, sales of guns in America have gone up uh, during lockdown. So who knows? <laughs> mm. Life imitates art, art imitates life. This film is a, a big recommend from me. I really enjoyed it, Mary. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think uh, your phrase gets it pretty much spot on. It's just balls to the wall mental. <laughs> John? Same, yes. We seem to be going through a, a patch of just agreeing with each other on just about everything at the moment, which won't last, of course. But yes, I agree with on this one. It was a pretty good watch. Really enjoyed it, but not in a, a deep and meaningful kind of way. You just got on with it and watch it. It's a film. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah, if you want to really have that disagreements, we should uh, review Maniac Cop for the next episode. <laughs> we'll see how we agree. You're really pushing this agenda, aren't you? <laughs> what state is this? Sorry. You don't understand the question? Oh, no, I do. Most people know where they are. Why ain't most people? That was our thoughts on the hunt. As we said, we really recommend it. It is available on demand just now as... <laughs> We can't go anywhere. And Blumhouse has started putting their films Invisible Man, which we also recommend. And that episode's available in the Movie Scramble archives. And The Hunt is available on demand. Please download it, rent it, watch it, enjoy it. Let us know your thoughts if you do like it. If you don't like it, keep them to yourself if you're not interested. <laughs> Based on the themes of survival regarding The Hunt, we have picked our top three survival movies. I like this topic because it was quite... It was quite varied in the the genres we could pick. Nothing was really kind of pigeonholed. I was tempted to pick Friday the 13th Part 6, which I believe most kind of incorporates that survival element as Jason's hunting people down. But I managed to avoid... I was going to say I managed to avoid any franchise movies. That's a total lie. <laughs> I've managed to avoid any Part 9s or 6s or sequels. But we've all picked our top three survival movies. And it's a very interesting list. I'm very excited to talk about this. And I believe I'm first. Am I first? You are. First, I'm first for a while. It's not happened recently. <laughs> I was trying to say, I was going to say something that just sounded dirty. So I think I'm like... It's all right. What you've already said is enough. <laughs> <laughs> I have went with 2000, and I can't believe this film's 20 years old. Battle Royale. It was directed by Kinji Bukasaku and it's a dystopian thriller movie where it's Japan and the near future and they basically deal with unruly school classes by picking one of the worst classes at random, putting them on an island, putting collars on their neck and forcing them to fight to the death until there's only one survivor. If this movie sounds familiar, it's because it should. The Hunger Games ripped it off royally. And there's no pun intended there. The survival element comes into it and you've got the, the students, they're on island. We focus on some of the kind of main characters and they team up because you've got the couple who are in love and it's they just basically try to survive this out and find a way out of it. They're not interested in playing the game. They're interested in the two of them leaving the island, but obviously they both can't because there can only be one winner. Have you seen this movie? I have seen this movie. I love this movie. I think it's fantastic. Fits in quite well with the discussion of The Hunt as well with regards to the violence. 
because there's a, an awful lot of over-the-top violence, but there's sort of comedic elements to it as well. And some of it is kind of horrific in a way. You're looking at it and you're going, oh, it's kind of like crossing your legs type <laughs> moments, which is interesting. And it's just brilliant. It, it works really well and it sets out still very early and it just goes for it. Yeah, this movie was very, very controversial when it came out as well. Uh, it was referred to by the Japanese. I think I think it was their, their, their equivalent of the Boulder Sensors, and they called the movie crude and tasteless. For eleven years, uh, the film was never officially released in the US or Canada, except for film festivals. It wasn't shown in schools or anything like that. And when you watch it, it's not that controversial a movie. Yes, but it involves school children. I was going to say, I think it's probably the children element of it that that makes it controversial. If they had shipped a bunch of adults off to an island, it would have been maybe okay. But yeah, possibly. I don't know, I've not, I've not got the, the cast, uh, the date of birth to hand, but they're not an old cast. It is a young cast, and whether they're actually legitimately school children or late teens in, in real life, they look it. And this came out at a time in the early 2000s where Asian cinema really had that extreme reputation for it, uh, really graphic violence. You had movies that came after, like Edge the Killer, Old Boy, mentioned Asian cinema in the Parasite episode and the fact that it's always been held in this high regard. And Battle Royale was one of those movies that really brought um, Asian cinema to the forefront, in my opinion, and helped put it on the map for Western audiences. Mm-hmm. Made it honestly you need to see it as a brilliant movie. It's on my watch list actually. It was the first film that Chris mentioned when I talked about the theme of this week. He absolutely loves it, so it is on my watch list. Yeah, and it stars the kids beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> exactly. It stars Takeshi Kitano as the school teacher who is overseeing the whole operation. And if you've not seen him, he's like an excellent actor. He's like the the Tom Hanks of Japan. Oh no way. <laughs> Yeah, but he's also known for like being a celebrity as well. Outside acting, he's he's known for all these different kind of like entertainment roles. You heard of Takeshi's Castle? Ah, uh-huh, yeah. That's him. All right, okay. He's a brilliant actor, absolutely brilliant actor. It's worth watching for him alone. But yeah, it's an excellent movie. Uh, some of controversy caused. Still got a legacy to this day. Threats to remake it never happened, thankfully. It just, it's, yeah, please watch it. Okay. You'd like it. Okay. I'm intrigued. My first choice is the 2016 South Korean film Train to Busan. It's directed by Yang Sang Ho, stars Gong Yu, Jung Yu Mi, and Ma Dong Seok. It's a zombie film before anything else, but it's a zombie film that is set. Uh, surprisingly enough, on a train to Busan. Basically, a disease, a virus, if you like, is unleashed into the wild and it starts to spread across a city. Now, in this city is a a young man with a daughter. He's recently divorced from his wife and his daughter is missing her mother terribly, so he agrees, mainly out of guilt, to take her on a train trip to her home in Busan. Now, they got on the train and everything's peachy and nice until just as the train's pulling at the station, a woman comes on who has been infected and the first thing she does is she she eats the train guard, basically, starts infecting him and therefore infecting everybody else. 
as the, the train's leaving the station, there's reports of all sorts of hell-breaking loose in the city and the surrounding areas. All the passengers decide at the next station to get off, and then they find that the next city is exactly the same. And in the confusion of them all trying to get back onto the train, they all get separated. So the man gets separated from his, his daughter. She's maybe about five or six carriages away from him. So him and a couple of others have to try and get from one carriage of the train to another, which is somewhat distant and it's full of infected people. And it's how they do this. The inventive way that they, they actually manage to get through uh, the various carriages. Sometimes they use just outright violence. There's a lot of blood in this, a lot of gore. Sometimes they have to use a wee bit of stealth. There's some nice wee elements that they use, uh, some comedic touches to it. And it just it's a fantastic film. It's very fast-paced, basically because I think they're trying to mirror the fact that they're on a train and they're sort of pounding towards this destination. And it just works so well just as this 90-minute sort of express ride. And obviously the whole survival element is the fact that they're trying to survive this horde of zombies who just are intent on eating them because basically that's what zombies do, let's face it. Have either of you seen this movie? Yeah, I love this movie. I only seen it for the first time, I think it was maybe last year. So I was quite late today the part when it came to it but yeah I love this movie I, I think it's it's absolutely fantastic uh, I can't really add much else other than what you've said you've summed it up perfectly it's, it's a zombie movie uh, it's a nice twist to it it's got some a fresh idea introducing the train and this moving train it's a really fast paced energetic film I love it mm-hmm. I haven't seen this either I'm feeling a bit shit this week do you watch Asian cinema? Yeah, it's not like I've got a prejudice against it or anything. I do watch a lot of Asian cinema. I just haven't seen these two particular films. Um, Cancel. I was actually... <laughs> I've been trying to find a copy of that. Because I am a wee bit of a pussy when it comes to horror films. I kind of have to psych myself up for watching it. But no, it is on uh, my prime watch list. I'm pretty sure it's still on there. So my first pick is a bit grim um, compared to you guys. You guys, you guys have this kind of fun element to, to your, your picks. This is definitely one of those films that you have to endure. Um, and it is Steve McQueen's uh, 12 Years a Slave, uh, which stars Chiwetel Ejiofor um, and Lupita Nyong'o and Michael Fassbender, to name but a few. So it's based on the real life story, The Diaries of Solomon Northrup, who was a successful black musician in the the north of America who was kidnapped and sold into slavery, obviously, in the Deep South. And this story is a story of his survival, his attempts to get back to his wife and children in the the north and basically how how long it takes to achieve that. And Steve McQueen just goes all out. Um, There is this is certainly a film where there's no, you know, happy, grateful slaves, you know, singing songs while they, they pick cotton. This is a this is a film where, you know, there's there's rape, there's lynching, there's extreme violence. Um, but there's also real acts of humanity and tenderness as well to sort of offset that, although they are very, very few and far between. It's a film that really, you know, expresses how humiliated, you know, 
the African-Americans were from the moment they were sold and why they were sold, picked on things like, you know, how their their hips looked or how wide their shoulders looked or how their teeth looked and just really, really reduced to nothing more than than livestock, essentially. Um, and Chiwetel Ejiofor, you know, gives this really sensitive, frustrating um, performance at the heart of all this as he battles to get back um, to his family. And it's it's really, really shocking. It's... I've, I remember watching it at the cinema and like kind of feeling kind of unable to control my emotions quite a lot of the time. Um, and it just kind of puts into perspective. It's it's not a it's not an area of cinema that Hollywood likes to dabble in too much, obviously because the slave trade was so rife in America and they don't really like to introspect that way. Um, but it is absolutely brutal but so worth watching. There's some really good supporting performances in there as well from the likes of Benedict Cumberbatch and Sarah Paulson and Brad Pitt. Um, it's definitely, it's one of those films that you do endure rather than enjoy, but it's a really well-made piece of cinema. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, it's an incredible movie, absolutely incredible, and it should leave you shaking by the end of it. It really should, and the performances all over the board. There's nobody that phones anything in, and not that you'd expect them to phone in something of a movie like this, especially with the director uh, Steve McQueen. I haven't watched it since it came out, and again, I don't know if it's something I would have been in a hurry to watch again, but would recommend it to everybody to watch. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I've seen it, but I'm in no hurry to revisit it at any time. It's a harrowing film. It really is. There's it's, it's difficult to to say that you enjoy a film like this, but it's more than just enduring. It's, you, you take something from it. It kind of reflects back on your own prejudices in a way as well. So, yeah. But yes, I've very good, very good performances all around. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those films as well. When I first seen the trailers for that, I thought, yeah, I quite like the look of this. And I thought it was going to be just like spun through the Hollywood machine make everything quite sensationalist and here's the bit where you tick for the Oscar and it was nothing like that at all. It was a very hard hitting and gritty and that's what it should have been. And yeah. I'm not saying if it did it the other way it would have been bad. It's just, this was no thrills to it. Yeah, no it was unflinching to use a an overused word. But then Steve McQueen is, is like that and he definitely obviously... Um, being a, a person of colour himself, obviously had a, a story to tell and wanted to tell as faithfully as possible. And actually having read uh, Solomon Northrup's diaries, what you see on screen is pretty much to a T what's, what's in the, the journals that he kept. But is it interesting enough about the film? Do you know it got a lot of controversy because it's ending? Yeah, because they said that it was a white saviour thing. But again, if, if if you read the diaries, that is exactly what happened. So it, it's not... And I can't imagine somebody like Steve McQueen would phone something like that in and make it a white person if, if it didn't need to be. Um, so it is, it's very faithful to what actually happened. Excellent choice. Very, very highbrow. So I'm going to take it down a notch. <laughs> Of course, I'm going to go with a film I'm sure both of you have seen, and it's one of the greatest action movies ever, let alone of the 80s. I'm going to go with John McTiernan's Predator. Starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bill Duke, Carl Weathers, Jesse Ventura. This movie is just, just drips of testosterone. It's so iconic, and it's script, it's the dialogue... The, the themes of it, it's just, I, I think this film is very underrated. I don't think there's any credit 
for how good it is because it's seen as an alien action film. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. But for those that are not familiar with the plot, there's an alien from another planet that, as aliens tend to come from other planets, arrives in Earth with the sole intention of hunting the most dangerous uh, animal can find. It's kind of like a hunt, but in this case, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger's team of mercenaries. The predator in the movie, again, kind of like the hunt, it wants a challenge. In the hunt, the, the hunted are given the option to pick up some weapons to make it a bit more fair. The predator does the same thing. It only goes after people, they can give it a good fight. And who better than Arnie and his team? I first seen this movie when I was a kid. I watched it maybe at least once a year. It's incredible. It was so unique and original for its time. I think it's aged very well. The effects, for the most part, really stand up. It's got a real sense of claustrophobia, a real sense of danger. And, and you watch the movie and you think to yourself, like, Arnie's going to be okay here. He's the hero. But that element of danger, anybody seems to can, can die at any moment. You have no idea who's going to live, who's going to survive. And you've got these big, muscle-bound action heroes of the 80s. Scared. They're not all just... Um, and let's, let's go back to John McTiernan, who directed Die Hard. He wants to add a kind of human element to his heroes. There's a lot of one-liners in this. It is very cheesy, it is very testosterone, it is all masculine. This is a scene when they're building traps, very homoerotic, they've all got their tops off and they're sweating, and they're <laughs> pulling ropes and stuff, it's almost like glistening muscles. <laughs> it's very cheesy, but it's a very good movie. Yeah. I, love, I love this movie, and the sequels are okay, but the first one, yeah, just an absolute masterpiece in my opinion. Absolutely brilliant. Yes, I actually have seen this one, so I feel quite proud of myself. I just think, it, I mean, don't get me wrong, I only saw it a few years ago for the first time, and, like, I think within the first 10 minutes they had said something fairly homophobic and fairly misogynistic, so I was like, mmm, don't know if I'm going to like this. But actually, the more it goes on, it's like this sort of enjoyable romp, isn't it? It's just kind of classic 80s blockbustery type cinema, and it has aged really well in terms of the effects and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe not the script. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just, it's one of these kind of enjoyable pieces of cinema. I've not seen any of the sequels or anything like that, so I'm not too sure how, how it pans out. Thomas, I'm sure you'll be the expert on this, but no, I enjoyed it as a kind of standalone sort of, as I say, kind of classic 80s action movie. I've seen all of the Predator films, actually, <laughs> which uh, shouldn't really be a surprise because I think they're all brilliant. The first one is the best. It works really well, and as I can only echo what you say about the the fact that it has aged very well. I think a lot of that's got to, got to do with the fact that it's practical effects that they use most part. The predator is real. It's not a CG creation or anything. It's very much there. The film. I think it was, it was a basketball player or something was actually Kevin, within the suit. Kevin Peter Hall. His name was mm, yeah. Yeah. He also played uh, Harry and Harry and the Hendersons. Yes, of course, yeah. <laughs> and it works really well because of the design of the uh, the Predator and the fact that it blends very well with the jungle background. And like you say, there's these sort of muscle-bound guys, but they are actually a smart bunch of guys. Like, they're, they're there for a reason and they're there because they're really well trained and everything and they work very well as a team and basically they're killers. And that does come across very well in the film as well. So you you do get that sense of, well, if these guys are scared of this, then it must be something really pretty bad that's uh, stalking them. 
and it does stalk them as well. Like you say, it doesn't just kill indiscriminately. It wants the fight. It wants the hunt. It's all about the sport of it. The trophies, because it always takes trophies as well, usually in the form of a, a skull and the uh, the backbone of whoever uh, it manages to kill. Just a brilliant film. Works really well. My next pick is a very recent film from 2019, a film called Arctic. It stars Mads Mikkelsen as a pilot who is stranded somewhere in the Arctic Circle after crashing his plane. Now, this film is in three distinct acts. The first act of the film is uh, the character of Overgaard, which is Mikkelsen, in his daily routine how he survives, he sets traps, he fishes on the ice and various things and he has a wee run-in with a polar bear but nothing terribly serious so he's he's still able to survive and just as you're getting into that and into the routine of everything uh, they, they find sorry, he finds that uh, a helicopter has just passed him and it turns round and unfortunately when it tries to land it actually crashes killing the pilot but the co-pilot survives so now he's in a position where he's stuck in the middle of nowhere he doesn't know where he is and he's uh, basically got an injured person that he needs to look after now from the crashed helicopter he finds a few things a map to get to a, a, a hut a couple of days away from it it's some sort of hunting lodge or something but it offers the the hope of some sort of civilization and uh, possibly a link with the outside world. So he he and the injured person start out on a journey across the, the tundra and it's all the problems that they face in terms of the conditions, which are brutal, and the fact that there's a polar bear who's wandering after them because all it can smell is the fish that they've caught. And <laughs> it's, just, it's bleak and it's engrossing as well. It's a film that is very much centred on one performance at work really really well based on the fact that Mads Mikkelsen is a fantastic actor there isn't a whole lot of dialogue in this film basically because he's got nobody to talk to and they don't use any sort of nice techniques where he starts talking to himself in order to explain a bit of the plot and a bit of the background about him and things like that, there's nothing like that explained at all, it's basically you're just planked down with him and he's been there for maybe about two months or something, so you don't know anything about him at all and it really just sets the film up so nicely because you're in the position where you don't know what's going to happen and how he's going to cope with it because you've got no idea what his set of skills are, if he has a set of skills other than being able to uh, catch a fish through the ice. Wonderful movie. Have either of you seen it? I have not, and I'm surprised you haven't made it, because I know you love Mads Mikkelsen. I do. I love a bit of Mads, actually. But if he's stranded in the Arctic, chances are he's not going to get his kit off, so that's maybe why it has limited <laughs> <laughs> limited my, uh, my watching of it. But no, that sounds amazing. That does sound really good. Okay, so my next choice, again, God, I feel like I've picked really grim films, um, is the Italian uh, film starring Roberto Benini, Life is Beautiful. And this this is a kind of weird film for so many reasons. Basically, Roberto Benini is an Italian-Jewish stand-up comedian, and yet he's made this film that's really well-known about the Holocaust. Um, and it's a film that actually the kind of whole idea of, of World War II doesn't come into it for quite a while because 
the opening of the film is Benini starring as Guido trying to woo his wife. Uh, Dora and her family don't really approve and he's kind of acting the fool. And it's this beautiful kind of sweeping love story and it'll never make you you'll hear um, Offenbach's all through it and it's just a really beautiful piece of music and it's this kind of sweeping romance. And then World War II sort of erupts out of nowhere and obviously with um, Benini's character Guido being Jewish he is sent to a concentration camp um, along with his son Yeshua and in order to sort of keep him both alive and help him to survive Guido devises this story for his son that they're basically in a big game and that they have to do certain things to win certain points so things like you know go to sleep at the right time don't cry don't ask for extra food keep hidden and he's basically doing this out of sheer desperation to keep his son alive. And it's a really sort of touching, emotional, and yet really harrowing and horrific film. It's, it's kind of a film of two halves almost. In the first half, you get sort of swept up in the romance. And in the second half, you're just like, Jesus Christ, this is awful. There are, you know, there are children involved in this. And it's it really is about kind of how survivor's instinct, but for this character of Guido, because he is kind of a bit of a fool and a clown, that sort of comes in the form of, you know, games and playfulness just to keep the, this beautiful wee boy alive. Um, and it's a really kind of, it's a different take on Holocaust drama or World War Two drama. But I think it's a really brilliant film and it's a wee bit schmaltzy and cheesy in some places, but I think it's a really good way of showing how some people coped with the Holocaust and coped with um, trying to survive because essentially, you know, a lot of people say, oh, if you can't laugh at things and it's not encouraging you obviously to laugh at the Holocaust, but it is sort of showing you coping mechanisms of of how people survived and how they got through it. Um, I assume both of you have seen it. It's quite quite an old classic, isn't it? Never seen it. No. Oh. (laughs) Okay. I feel feel, I'm back on intelligence levels now. Um, it's a really beautiful piece of cinema I really love it and as I say it might not be for everyone because it is a wee bit different um, in its take on things but it definitely is um, it definitely is worth a watch From what you've said about it there seems to be some echoes of that sort of story in the likes of Jojo Rabbit as well in terms of the innocence of the child and everything trying to maintain that Absolutely and I know kind of Jojo Rabbit got slagged off for its end and they said it was too upbeat but this mm. is a that definitely like you know he acts the character of Guido acts the clown the whole way through like he's in the concentration camp you know making fun of the way the guards walk and sort of gurning and making these kind of funny facial expressions just because he wants his kid to stay alive mm-hmm. and we did get a wee bit of shtick for that because they were like oh this is kind of poking fun but actually I, th- I see it as a coping mechanism that's how he sur- that's how he wants his son to survive yeah that's what it sounds like I have went with a classic an old sixties classic. It's also a zombie movie, uh, like Train to Busan. This is seen as the granddaddy of zombie movies. I've went with George Romero's nineteen sixty-eight Night of the Living Dead. And this is a movie that's not only spawned a few sequels, it's spawned an entire genre of movies. I've been with this one, not because it's my favourite, I actually think Dawn of the Dead is a better film. But I believe this really does harness the survival aspect a lot more. And it was the first one to do it. When you've got a motley crew of people of different backgrounds all stuck together in a house just trying to see the night through. Those zombies are outside and trying to break their way in. It's a very low-budget movie and 
it shows in many ways, but it still has to, the themes of it still stand up and the horror aspect still stands up and there's a sort of very claustrophobic feel as the the humans are all trapped in this house and they don't go on. They have arguments, they have issues, they have fights, and there's a pissing contest between the, the males to see who should be taken over the lead, taken as leader in that. And it was also very controversial for its time as George Romero cast a black man as the hero. This is a time in movies where black men tend to be stereotyped. They weren't necessarily the hero, especially in a movie where the rest of the cast are white. And although George Romero did say there's nothing political about the reason for it, there is the elements of racial themes in the movie. Have you seen it? Have both you seen it for a say the end? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to mention the end because it is a bit old. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, pause it. But at the end, uh, Ben, played by Dwayne Jones, is the only survivor. And then it's shot. <laughs> it's shot by the cops who believe it to be a zombie, allegedly. And like, what the fuck, and that's a new excuse for us shooting black guys. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And you kind of this film was released in 1968, and you watched this, and you kind of he's Dwayne Jones is excellent in the role, very very good. And you get to the ending, the hero, like films of this type, the hero wins the end, and he just gets shot and flung in a fire. He's body burned, and you're like, wow, didn't see that coming. It's such a downbeat ending, and it almost, if it wasn't for the fact that it was a black man. And it gave this whole new level of his death. It would make the survival element to the movie a lot more pointless. Because I'm not a big fan of movies that kind of keep everybody alive and then just kill them at the end. Or even worse, you have one survivor and then the beginning of the sequel kills them off right away. You're just like, what was the fucking point? But with this, it was just a very unique for the time. The idea, like I said, the claustrophobia. You've got this kind of these people all stretched up in the house, forced to work together, but they don't go on. It was a zombie movie, but it had a lot of realism injected into it. It felt plausible in terms of how people interacted. Yeah, it's extremely tense, I would say. And it's like you see, it's one of those films where I've obviously watched it a lot later than, than when it came out. But once you watch it, you're like, oh, there's so many films that have clearly used elements of this movie, even just like from the ensemble cast and the sort of tensions, and as you say, the kind of pissing contest between the two guys and the, the being trapped in the one location. There's there's so many films that have clearly been inspired by this, but it's kind of the sort of the original, isn't it? And yeah, I I mean I know it's a wee bit dated, but I still find it. I still thought it was scary. My next choice is a 2015 film, The Revenant, directed by Alejandro González Iñárritu. It's a particularly well-known film basically because it's the film that finally got Leo his Oscar after much campaigning over previous, maybe the previous decade, I would say. The film is set in 1823. Leo plays a character called Hugh Glass, who is a trapper, and he has a pony son named Hawk. They're looking after the trappers in camp, and it's obviously a very brutal environment it's uh, where real men go and hunt beavers and get <laughs> get their pelts in order to take them back and sell them it's you know whatever however you get your kicks uh, there's obviously a very famous scene in it where 
uh, Glass is attacked by a grizzly bear and left for dead. And because of that, and because they've been just been attacked by the the local native tribes as well, everybody else basically buggers off back to the fort and leaves Glass under the protection of uh, a man called Fitzgerald and uh, Bridger as well, as well as his son. Now, Fitzgerald can't be bothered looking after him, so he tries to kill Glass. Fails to because Glass's son comes back. Instead, he kills his son right in front of him. And basically, after that, buggers off, leaves him for dead. And it's at that point that the survival part of it really kicks in. Basically, driven by the rage of seeing his, his son murdered in front of his eyes, it drives him on to try and get back to civilization and exact his revenge. Now, this basically takes up, I would say, about an hour of this film. Him trying to get himself uh, able to travel using crude surgery, which is not very pleasant to watch, then being attacked by natives and then being attacked by French trappers and all oh, everything to do with that. It's just unbelievable. The, the things that he goes through, uh, he cuts open the belly of a horse at one point to sleep in to try and give him some sort of heat. And it's just, oh, it's absolutely disgusting. It's a great film. It's a great performance by Leonardo DiCaprio. But it's the, the whole setting and everything and everything around it. There's not a bad performance in that. You're looking at the likes of Tom Hardy, uh, Domo Gleeson and Will Poulter as well, all giving top-notch performances. Tom Hardy's doing that sort of maybe every third word you can understand kind of thing, that kind of performance <laughs> that he, he tends to fall back on now and again. But even then, it still kind of matches the character because the character's completely horrible. And you kind of know what he's saying anyway, even when he's not uh, actually uttering anything. It's just really almost like a, a real horrible bad guy in it. Great film, great survival story. Maybe not one I would go back and watch again, because once you've seen it once, I don't know how much more there actually is to it. But I could be persuaded, I suppose. But I've got plenty of other things to watch in the meantime. <laughs> My last pick is the quite literal story of being stuck between a rock and a hard place. It is Danny Boyle's 127 Hours. This obviously um, stars James Franco and tells the true story of Aaron, or Aaron, depending on how you pronounce it, Ralston, who was a, a mountaineer, a hiker, and he goes out in the mountains, obviously in Utah, and trips and falls and finds himself with his wrist crushed by a boulder and unable to escape. And obviously with it being the middle of nowhere, his cries for help go unanswered. And the film is really, um, again, it's kind of not, not an endurance, cause, but it, it is one of those films that makes you think, like, what would I do if I was in that situation? And to be quite honest, the answer is, like, cry myself to death. I have no outdoor skills whatsoever. But James Franco, you know, completely carries this film. You see him, you know, he's recording his video diaries just in case, you know, somebody finds him or and he wants to give that along to his parents and his loved ones and he's sort of flitting between kind of being lucid and then hallucinating because he's you know so sunburned and you know hasn't eaten and there's scenes where obviously he tries to you know drink his own piss and then there's the can I say it the 
is yes. old enough. Obviously, he has to eventually cut his own hand and arm off in order to escape. And that is just grim as fuck. Like, you can hear the cartilage. It is really, really grim. Um, but again, it's, it's kind of an ultimate, you know, man versus nature sort of survival story. And I just think it's really well shot. And I think... Um, for somebody who often kind of plays the fool a little bit, I think James Franco really, really carries this film really well. And it is, it's very much a, a, a true test of survival skills out in the wild and how you sort of, not only how you keep yourself going physically, but how you keep yourself going mentally when it seems like the odds are stacked against you. But I think it's a, a really, really good film. Danny Boyle is one of my favourite filmmakers. He's so versatile. It doesn't, it never makes the same film back to back, and I mean that genre-wise, it's very hard pressed to to, to watch a Danny Boyle film and say, ah, that's a Danny Boyle film. Trans, Train Spotting, Yesterday, 127 Hours. These films are nothing like the other. Yeah, they're just so unique to from each other. He's an incredible filmmaker, and this again is something unlike anything he'd made before. It was a film that kind of not courted controversy, but it kind of maybe became a wee bit infamous because of the the hand cutting off scene. But honestly, it's kind of the least. Of, I mean, it's grim, but it's kind of the least of the film. If you know what I mean, there's so much yeah. more to it than than just that. John, did you like it? I did. I really enjoyed it. I really liked the fact that this was the film that he made after winning the Oscar for Slumdog Millionaire. Yes. He used his cachet from that to get this made because this was a film that he wants to make. And on paper, if you look at it, it's not a film that would be easily financed. It's about a guy cutting his hand off and the, the guy is an absolute dick as well. <laughs> there's there's very few redeeming qualities about this guy. There's not it's not like a sturdy outdoorsman who's you know trying to get back to his loved ones this guy is horrible and he's admitted it himself i've seen interviews with the guy afterwards and he says yeah that was that was me that's what i was like i was very self-absorbed i wasn't didn't care about anybody else I, I didn't really care about myself to a certain extent it was all about the experience getting out there and doing this so the fact that danny boyle chose this project and was able to get off the ground and actually make something as good as this given that it was sort of a bit of a passion project for him it's just absolutely amazing i like the fact that there was one very small piece in the film where he's talking about his knife and how he took out pretty much his second best knife that was a wee bit blunt Mm -hmm. and that's the one he ended up having to cut off his arm with because he didn't want to take his best one because that was you know that's only for you know, for for special occasions, if you yeah. like, you know, oh, that's uh, that, that we touched there, and that was, you know, that kind of preyed on his mind a wee bit, saying, you know, yeah, I'm a complete dick. Everything that I've done is just exactly the same, and it, it really backs it up that I, I, I'm using this shitty knife to cut off my arm here. Yeah, and the the way that they actually do that scene as well, you oh. don't see anything, but it's all to do with the atmosphere of it, and you see the sound design and everything as well. So your imagination just runs wild. It yeah. just completely goes. It's yeah. Very, very good filmmaking. So it's true. We're being hunted. If you do have any suggestions for survival movies, you can still let us know. You can let us know at Movie Scramble on Instagram, at Facebook. On Twitter, you can email us at podcast at moviescramble.co.uk. John, have you had any more emails recently? 
No, we have not had a single email. It's almost as if there's an apocalypse happening. <laughs> People are too busy stockpiling toilet paper. Survival, that's what it's all about. <laughs> we have had some feedback, haven't we, Mary, though? Mm. Yeah, you see that like you're leading me to something. Yes. You had some good feedback in the podcast. You've, you've verified. Oh, have oh yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, actually, yeah. Um, I do have, we have listeners, plural. Um, so my colleague, Ashleen, was, was raving about it. I put a wee post on LinkedIn during the week. And um, one of our clients actually commented saying that she started listening as well. And one of my other colleagues, Mina, hello, Mina, if you're listening, has started listening this week as well, because we all have loads of free time on our hands. So we're acquiring fans. This apocalypse is good for our, for our ratings. Just also to say that we have a youtube channel movie scramble if you search for that there's loads of videos on there we obviously put our podcast on there as well come and join that community if you like and we are also on uh, spotify where we put up playlists for the various topics that we discuss oh just think Uh, about it you should definitely put the um on for this week for life is beautiful and just let people chill out to that that would be lovely absolutely I don't think of any news this week, but we do have a message that's just came in this second mm. with my friend Richard, who is a loyal listener of his podcast, doesn't miss an episode, and not just because he likes me, because I think he skips my parts and mutes them. <laughs> he has gave us his top three survival movies off the top of his head. He's went with The Grey for the Liam Neeson yep. movie. The Martian, that's an excellent oh, choice. You know, if you're going to be stranded, uh, try to survive... Why be in the woods? Why be in a forest? Why be at sea? <laughs> Another planet. It's a very good choice. And he's went with Dawn of the Dead, which was my original pick, but I went with Night of the Living Dead instead. So good choice, good uh, choices there, Richard, and good movies as well. I'd recommend everybody watches all of them in that order. <laughs> oh, any order you wish. It's up to you. Yep. Nice. Very good. Yep. So I'm going to have a shout out to Richard for sending them in. Thanks very much. Do you have any shout outs before we go? Not this week, no. I have exhausted my my listener shout-outs. Yes. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, So I'll be surviving just now. Everybody stay safe. Please do. Take care. Bye. Bye. Of all the people you kidnapped, of all the people you killed, you picked the wrong game. Lady, you're crazy.